Well, I, I want to share something with you today that, um, that the Lord laid on my heart. Now, this is, when I get started in this message, you're going to go, oh, no, not again. <laughs> I sent my outline. I, I, Brandon called. He said, will you speak? I said, yes. Yeah. So I asked the Lord. I said, what do you want me to talk about? And the Lord gave me some ideas. And next thing you know, I got an outline, a full outline. And I sent it to Brandon unknowing what was really going on at the time, and, and I'll explain that in a minute, but um, you, you'll see when I get into this what I'm talking about. But, but as I get started in this message, I want to share with you, uh, years ago, I had the opportunity to go hunting Colorado in the mountains, and it turned out to be a great thing because I wound up killing an elk, and then I got to go for a few years in a row, and it was really nice. But, you know, I'm an old Cajun boy, and I'm used to the swamps, and I crawfish. And many people don't know this, but we sold crawfish to Troy Landry before he was Troy Landry. <laughs> we used to fish at Bell River down there. But I, I can get around in the swamp, but I got to thinking I've never been in the mountains. And, you know, when you start looking at the maps, the topical maps of that place, there's thousands and thousands of acres of wilderness up there. So I got to thinking it'd be about my luck to get up there and get turned around and not come out. So I decided that if I'm going to go up into the mountains and, and spend some time in this great, vast wilderness, that I might ought to pack some stuff with me. So I packed some normal stuff like a light. And of course, I had my machete if I needed to cut some branches and stuff to, to make a little shelter. And being Cajun, I made sure I had something to cook in. See, most of you wouldn't have thought of that. And, and of course, I brought some bug spray just in case. Um, I brought some bug bite <laughs> in case I missed some places on me and the bugs ate me. Uh, I brought some, some rope with me to build a shelter. Um, I brought some fishing stuff with me in case I needed to catch a fish to eat. And most important, I brought some little thermal blankets with me. When you go in the wilderness, you need to bring five or six of these because they'll save your life out there. And I could unpack way more stuff, but there's a lot of stuff in this pack that I wanted to bring and show you today that I thought would be very necessary if I had to spend some time in the wilderness. And, and the message that I'm going to preach to you today, fathers, it's aimed at fathers, but it fits anybody. The message I'm going to preach to you today is called God's man in the wilderness. God's man in the wilderness. I, I'm going to read the text. Now, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. And then I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. But we're not covering all those verses, but you need to hear the story so that you'll know uh, what's going on here. So let me read it to you, beginning in chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus says, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. 
And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, chapter four says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up uh, with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus replies, uh, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scripture says you must not worship, uh, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Now, that's a neat little story, but I want to share something with you. In our Bibles, we have, we have chapters and verses in our Bibles, and those are great helps because a preacher can stand up and say, turn to this book and this chapter and this verse, and you know right where to go. But sometimes those chapters and those verses can actually be a hindrance. Like, like you might read chapter 3, verse 13 to 17, and then you might take a commercial break thinking that chapter 4 comes, but it comes at some other time. Like Jesus heard his father say, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then who knows when Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. But the truth of the matter is that if you go to the book of Mark and you read it there, what it says is as soon as God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, it says, and immediately the spirit led him into the wilderness. So the, the point of the, I'm making with this is that you can't separate the two. And I believe this, I believe that it's what happens to you in the water that prepares you for the wilderness, and that's why they cannot be separated. Guys, you cannot face what's going to be uh, in the wilderness as a man till you have a moment in the water. Yeah, yeah, you give God the glory on that. So my message today is how to be a man of God in the wilderness. What can you pack in the backpack that you know is going to help you in the wilderness? Now, the very first thing I want to talk about is something that you've been hearing about for the last three weeks in your church. When Brandon saw my outline, he calls, he says, Brother Glenn, just want to let you know, two weeks ago, I preached about baptism. And then the week before you coming, we're going to have a baptism service. <laughs> so now I'm freaking out, you know. I'm like, oh, good night. So I said, well, let's see what happens. And I talked to the Lord and told him, I said, Lord, do you want me to change this message? You know what the Lord said? Absolutely not. That's the message I gave you. That's the one I want you to speak about. I believe that there's somebody here that needs to hear this and maybe somebody's 
that is wrestling with this in their own way. I have a gentleman in the church where I'm at now. Um, he, he told me the other day, he said, you know, I've never been baptized. I said, well, why not? He said, I don't know. I've just never been baptized. So-and-so has talked to me and really tried to get me to be baptized. And, and I said, well, I'm going to talk to you too. <laughs> Guys, listen. You cannot be ready for the wilderness until you have a moment in the water. And I want to share with you why I think the water is such an important thing for us to look at today. In Matthew, Jesus approaches John to be baptized. And John says, I, what are you doing? You need, to, you, need to, you need to baptize me, John says. And Jesus, in verse 15 of that chapter, says some profound stuff that I want to touch on today because I think some of us don't even know that Jesus even said this. Although we read it, and, and I have to say that in the King James, it reads a little bit different than the New Living Translation. But nonetheless, I think they've captured the essence of what Jesus says. Listen to Jesus' words, but I mean this time and first time in your life, really listen to what Jesus says about baptism. He says, it should be done. <laughs> I was blown away when I read that. It should be done. I looked it up in King James, and, and this is what Jesus says and, and, in, in the King James, and, and it's pretty much what the Greek says, because the New Testament was written in Greek, and this is what it says. Jesus says, it becometh us in the, in the King James. You know what that means? It needs to be done. Guys, you listen to me. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you have placed your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection to deliver you from your sins, and you understand that he was the substitute who took your place, if you believe that, and you're saved, and you're a born-again believer, and you have not been baptized, what's wrong with you? Jesus says it should be done. And then he tells us why it should be done. Because he goes on to say, so that we can carry out all that God requires. Whoa. Now you listen to me, okay? I don't want you to leave out of here saying, Brother Glenn says that God requires baptism for salvation. En contraire, mon frère. <laughs> You do not need to be saved. I mean, uh, baptized to get to heaven. What you need to get to heaven is to have faith in Jesus Christ. You do not need water baptism to get to heaven. The thief on the cross died that day, and Jesus pronounced that he would be in paradise that day, and he was never baptized. But I'm telling you that what I read right here is that God, some kind of way, has made baptism as part of the requirements He expects from His children. <laughs> Look at what it says. I'm not read. I'm not saying this. This isn't my words. This is this is Jesus's words. He said, "For we must carry out all that God requires." <laughs> Some kind of way, baptism is part of what God requires from us. 
not for salvation, but for the fullness of life that we all so desperately fight for. We like to read that verse. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And we all crave for that abundant life. But some of us, some of us aren't willing to go through with everything that God says he wants. <laughs> I can't say it any different. I have to preach what's there. It'd be nice if we could change it up a little bit, huh? But God don't let us do that. Why is this such a big thing with Jesus? Here, here's a few things for you to consider. I think this is why it's a big thing. First of all, it baptism is the first step of obedience that God requires from us. I'm going to say it this way, okay? This is Glenn's words, not the Bible. This is my interpretation. But I believe this. If you can't follow Jesus in believer's baptism, if you can't be obedient to what Jesus says, because in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he said, make disciples, make people who follow Jesus by getting them saved, and then baptize them. Jesus' his own words. If you can't be obedient to the very first thing God asks you to do, you're going to struggle in your walk the rest of your life. Again, I say, guys, if you're saved, a born-again believer, and you haven't been baptized, what's wrong? Not only is it the first step of obedience, but look, when I was putting this together, this is the first time I saw this. I've been a pastor for 30-something years, but but <laughs> it really got to me. In verse 16, down into verse 17, it's where Jesus really got his identity. Watch this. The word baptize in the Greek is the word baptizo, and it means to be identified. It's a textile term. They took white cloth and they baptized it in purple dye and the white cloth identified with the purple dye and so now it's purple cloth. It, that's what baptism is. It's an identification. When Acadiana walks out on the basketball court, the team don't have to run out there and say, I play for Acadiana. How do you know they play for Acadiana? Because they're identified by their uniform and people know you're a Christian when you get in the water because generally speaking, lost people don't want to be baptized. You don't have to say a word. You just get in there and you gain your identity. People say, they're a believer. <laughs> but not only that. Watch this. It was in those waters when Jesus come out of that baptism pool that God identified with Jesus. And this is what he says. I love you. You are my child. And I'm so pleased with you. Guys, imagine this. 
if you got that fortitude in you, no matter what the wilderness throws at you, no matter what the world throws your way, you stand strong and you say, you know what? I'm loved. I'm loved by God and I am his child and he is pleased with me. And if that don't strengthen you, something's wrong with you. When you come out of that water, you understand that you have identified as a Christian, but God has identified with you and is pleased with you. Why? Because you have been obedient to what he has asked you to do. <laughs> Woo! Man. Not only that, that's what I say. That gave me the free songs. I heard that. I like that. Woo! I like that. <laughs> Not only that, but water has always been a part of God's plan. How many of you heard of something called the tabernacle in the wilderness? You've heard of that? You know, that, that was God's plan. A picture, if you would, of salvation for you and I. And God, God put that thing together and it was a, it was a, it was like a, a big fence, a tent and made a fence all around. And there was one place to go in, one door. <laughs> Guess what that represents? Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way, the truth and the life. So you enter into the tabernacle through the door of Jesus Christ. You know why you go through there and you got to go through Jesus? Because inside of the tabernacle is where God dwells. Inside the holy of holies over there is where God himself dwelt. <laughs> and they saw it with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They saw God was there and they went to go in there through Jesus. You're not going to get into the presence of God unless you go through Jesus Christ. And now I want to read. I'm going to get to it and, and read this to you. But in Exodus, he's uh, talking about this tabernacle. When you went through the door, the very first thing you encountered, the first piece of furniture was a brazen altar. And the priest would, would pray the sins of Israel into the... He put his hand on the head of the lamb and pray the sins of Israel into that lamb then they would cut that lamb's juggler vein because it was painless. They would cut it and they would grab the blood and then they would cut the animal up and burn parts of it on the brazen altar. And the priest had that, that blood that he was going to bring into the presence of God. And when he left that altar, here, here's what I want to read to you in Exodus chapter 30. I'm going to read verse 17 to 21. But listen to what God says as the priest has now got the blood and he's headed to the presence of God and God says, before he gets there, he's going to run into something. Listen to what he says. The Lord said to Moses, make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand and place it between the tabernacle where God dwells and the altar where they just sacrificed the animal. Fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and their feet there. They must... <laughs> They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord. And when they approach the altar to burn their special gifts to the Lord, or they will die, the word says. They must wash always their hands and their feet or they will die. This is a permanent law. 
for Aaron and his descendants to be observed from generation to generation. Before they could enter the presence of God, there was a requirement. Wash in some water. I'm not saying nothing other than what the Word says. (laughs) Wash yourself in the water. Pretty interesting. You know what a lot of people don't realize? Salvation is free. Don't cost you nothing. You can't buy it. Can't steal it. Can't cheat for it. It's free. It's a gift, the Bible says. Salvation is free, but the kingdom is not. Now I got you, huh? You stumped. Salvation is free, but to live the kingdom life costs you something. Always. There's always a requirement to living the kingdom life, to living the abundant life. The very first requirement that God has is wash yourself in some water. Joshua is fixing to take Jericho. They're on the other side of the Jordan. Joshua tells the people, get yourself ready because the Lord is going to identify with you tomorrow. And what do they do? The priest has to grab the Ark of the Covenant and God says, as soon as your feet get in, as soon as you get in the water, not stand by it and watch somebody else. As soon as you get in the water, the waters are going to part. And if you read in Joshua, you're going to find that they parted and, and all of Israel was able to pass through that water on dry ground before they got in there and started doing battle. Guys, I say it again. Before you go into the wilderness to do battle, you got to have a moment in the water. Always has been. Always has been. When God's people left Egypt, Egypt represented the world. They were living in sin. They were in the world, much like we were. But God sent them a deliverer. His name was Moses, and he represented Jesus. He was the picture of Jesus, our deliverer. But they were in the world, and Moses goes and delivers them. And they get to the Red Sea. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And Pharaoh's coming in his chariots, and Pharaoh said, hey, you were slaves. And God says, oh, no, they're not. Watch this. And he opens the water, and they pass through the water of the Red Sea. And they didn't go into the promised land. They went into the wilderness for 40 years. You know what the first thing Rahab, the harlot, said in Jericho? When the spies went, she said, we've heard of y'all. Y'all are God's people that he opened the Red Sea for you to cross. See, when you get into baptism waters, the world identifies with you and knows that you're of God. <laughs> hmm? And then this last thing about the water, and then I'll leave that alone. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, let me turn myself over there. First Peter chapter 3, verse 19. Talking about Jesus, when he died, his body was in the tomb, but his spirit was very much active. This is what Jesus' spirit did. 
He went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, that's a whole nother sermon of itself. Maybe one day I'll get to share that with you if Brandon will have me back after today. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building the boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water, that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by the removing of dirt, not by your sin, by removing your sin from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. The final thing that I think why this was such a big thing to Jesus was because when you go through the waters of baptism, something happens with you and God. Your conscience is clear. And you're ready to live the kingdom life now. So guys, you will not do well in the wilderness until you have a moment in the water. Now I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't been baptized and the Holy Spirit's just really tugging at your heart real hard, you need to see Pastor Brandon or one of the other pastors. Y'all have a system to go through that they'll put you in and, and you will work your way to be baptized. And when you do, the last one will be true for you too, as well as all the others. You will have a clear conscience with God. So the first thing we put in our survival pack is the water. Then the next thing, guys, the next step is the wilderness. That's a rough place. That's a rough place to be out in this world. And I'm going to tell you something as a Christian. You need to understand something. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. The attacks on Christianity is coming more and more. There was one particular congressman in Washington, D.C., that made a comment that was recorded, and it said this, the Christians are our problem. They're unwilling to accept all this stuff. I got a friend of mine that's a pastor in Pitkin, Louisiana, and uh, <clears throat> he called to tell me that there was a meeting that's going to happen uh, next Tuesday night. They're trying to meet and uh, try to stop some of the curriculum that our school systems are uh, bringing out. And... Uh, this is what he told me. He said, you know, Glenn, there's, there's probably a million churches in America, but it's interesting that a bunch of beer-drinking rednecks took a stand and none of the churches did. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of beer-drinking rednecks took a stand against Bud Light <laughs> and, and none of the Christian churches, you don't hear anything. But listen, in our defense, my view's a little different, but in our defense, I believe God is, is, is dumbing us up, if you would. I believe part of God's plan, you know, America's not mentioned in prophecy. Don't, we're not mentioned in prophecy. <laughs> and so we, we either gotta be weak or not there or something, and I just feel like we're moving towards the end times. How many of you believe we're living in the end times? We're in the wilderness, wilderness fighting for our life if, if ever we were. And I'm going to tell you, when God said, when God said the words, this is my dearly beloved son 
in whom I, brings me great glory, great joy, in whom I'm well pleased. Whenever you have the approval of heaven, you will always have it followed by the scowl of hell. You will always have it followed by the scowl of hell. Before you were born, you were in your mother's womb. Guess what you were surrounded by? <laughs> I remember our first one, my wife stood up and said, my water broke. I said, what's that? <laughs> and then the, we went to the hospital, and the very first thing that that baby encountered when it came out of the water was the wilderness. Somebody slapped it on the rear end. And the world has been slapping you ever since. When God speaks over you in the water, it's that that will carry you through this world. When you know who you are and whose you are, you can fight hell with a water pistol. Huh? That's right. That's right. So let me give you another piece of advice that you can slip in your pack. And we're, we're fixing to shut up. I have just a few minutes. This is going to go pretty quick. Hey, here's what I want to share with you, dads and, and moms, of course. Like I said, this applies to everybody. You do not, even though you're in the wilderness fighting for your life, fighting for your family's life, fighting for your children's life, you do not have to fight the battle alone. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 if you'll put that up there. <laughs> Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. How many of you believe that? Well, let me, let me tell you something about that verse. Remember, the New Testament's written in Greek. In the Greek language, there's a few different words for never. There's the word ou, O-U. And ooh means never, sometimes. <laughs> like you tell your kid, I will never beat you. Now, nah, that's coming a day that you're going to want to put them up for adoption and everything else. <laughs> so ooh means never, but it's not like a permanent never. They have a second word in the Greek, and it's the word may. M-E with the little, you know how you put that little line and make the E and A? Yeah, that's it. That's right. That's right. Second word is may, and that means never most of the time. <laughs> like, I will never divorce you. <laughs> and then 20 years later, there's a divorce. So it means never. <laughs> I'm not picking on nobody. Most of the time. But it's still open-ended. But listen, in the Greek language, when they take those two words and they shove them together. Boom, boom, boom. That's what happens in verse 13 of uh, chapter 13, verse 5. The word is ume. And when they shove them together, it's impossible. And when he says, I will never leave you, what God is saying is impossible for me to ever leave you or abandon you. So no matter what happens to you in the wilderness, if you're a born again believer, guess what? You got the Lord with you, whether you want him there or not. And then we have Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. 
the devil went away and the angels came and took care of him. How many of you forgot there's angels out there? They made a song, there's an angel watching over me everywhere I go. It's true. We can find in the scriptures in Matthew that we probably have a guardian angel. And let me tell you something. Some of us need more than one. Y'all ever seen that cartoon of them two little boys in a red wagon? And there's a rope tied to the handle. And it's coiled up and it's tied to the tail of a horse. And the first little boy's got a slingshot. And it says... If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Well, I say if you're going to be dumb, you might need more than one guardian angel. Hey, when Elijah and his servant was in a town, the servant kept looking out the window and he saw the enemy, the armies gathering up. And they're fixing to take this city and they're going to take Elijah and his servant. And so he goes to Elijah and he complains. He said, have you seen what's out there? And so here's what God says. Uh, Elijah says, he says, God, please open his eyes that he might see. And the Bible says when he went back to the window, his spiritual eyes were open. And all across the top of the mountain was the angel of the Lord's army. A whole army full of angels up there watching over them. Huh? Guys, listen, if you do it right and you keep all the requirements God has, and you get in the waters of baptism, not only do you have God himself present in your life, but you got a whole army of angels that God says, here they are. <laughs> How foolish are we to fight this? Whew. Then he's got the next two. Every time Jesus was confronted in the wilderness, by the enemy. And by the way, it's not the wilderness you need to fear. It's who's in the wilderness. That's where the devil is. Every time he came up against Jesus, what did Jesus use? The Word of God. Here, here's the thing, guys. In the baptism waters, the Word came over Jesus. This is my beloved son. In the wilderness... The word came out of Jesus. Guys, you're going to have to get some word in you so it can come out of you. And then the last one, and you won't have to put up with me no more. Unless you stay for the second service, shame on you. You got to know, guys, what's at stake. In the wilderness, Jesus did not fall for all the devil threw at him. And you don't really know what he did. We don't have time to get into that. But the devil was telling him, don't go to the cross. Just take the shortcut. You don't need to do that. Every time Jesus stood the test, you know why? Because he knew your destiny and your destiny and yours and yours and yours was at stake. And if he quit and he gave up, you would never have eternal life. Jesus knew what was at stake. And I think some of us need to know what's at stake. Do you realize, guys, that your family is at stake? 
Your children, the devil wants to kill your children before they can trust Christ as their Savior. I got great-grandchildren, and I'm worried to death for them what they're going to be like in this world, especially when I see their, their dads acting the fool out there instead of being the Christian that God wants them to be. You got to know what's at stake because that's what's going to give you fortitude. That's what's going to make you stand up and say, you know what, devil? I know you want my kids, but you ain't going to get them. I'm going to walk with the Lord today. I'm going to do what's right today. My goodness gracious. Gentlemen, what are you doing? <laughs> You're already in the wilderness. You can't escape that then get in the water and do it right. Father, as we come before you today, I pray for these men and these women today that they trust Jesus as their Savior and they believe that Jesus died for them and they're saved beyond a shadow of a doubt. But Lord, if there's somebody hearing my voice right now, if there's somebody who has been wrestling with getting in that water, I pray your spirit draws them right now. That your spirit speaks to them and says, man, you just don't know what's at stake with this game you're playing. Get yourself in the water and start the process right. Please, Father, in Jesus' name.